Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. I want to uh, welcome everyone, first of all. Good to see everyone back. Uh, we, are, we are at transition point. We are in, in, and that word has taken on a whole new meaning in the new millennium. Uh, it's, it's a shame that transition now means what it actually does, but nevertheless, it, well, it means what it actually does. It's, it's acquired a, a different and very un-Torah meaning, but we are still in a transition point in our series. The series is called A Better Covenant, right? Yeshua and the Sacrificial System. And uh, I asked Darren to make me some slides. You can see that they're much better than the slides that I usually make. So he is officially hired. Week seven, this is our transition. 7.22 of the, of the chapter, I mean, of the book of Hebrews says, so much the more also Jesus, Yeshua, has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And this, this forms the foundation of our entire series and what we're talking about. So, so what is the transition? Well, we need to move from where we've been over the last six or seven weeks into looking at kind of the foundations and now move into what Hebrews actually tells us that it's talking about that there is something better that we need to know and understand. Now, when something is better, here's what it means. It means it's more attractive. It means it's more favorable, more commendable, more advantageous or effective. And so even with everything I've set up to this point and talking about the sacrificial system and all those things, there is no way that we can deny that the book of Hebrews is discussing something better than what was known. And it turns out much better than what was known. But the problems that we've addressed so far are important because just because something better comes along does not mean that what was inherently becomes bad. And that is a problem within Christian theology. We have spent a lot of time, you know, uh, we've applied that way of thinking to the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, and we've solidly defended the fact that those are relevant and valuable. But we do not want to convey in this series, this messianic Jewish synagogue series about a messianic Jewish understanding of the book of Hebrews, we do not want to convey or suggest that the old, old in air quotes, is the better way. And so our transition is to look at, we, we can't, is to look at seeing things better. Why is it better? Now, there's a term. 
Here is, here is the, and I, I'm all, I always kind of hesitate to say the church because that sounds derogatory. What I mean is this is the, this is the, the mainstream Protestant, evangelical, Catholic understanding of old and new. And the word that we'll use here to describe this is supersessionism. You know this word? It's the, it's the nice theological term, of course, for replacement theology. This is from Wikipedia. Fulfillment theology, also like that, because we can then take Yeshua's words in Matthew 5, and we can say, see, he said it. Yeshua was a replacement theologian. He said he came to fulfill, so that's fulfillment theology. Not exactly. It's a Christian doctrine which asserts that the new covenant through Jesus Christ supersedes the old covenant, which was made exclusively with the Jewish people. Now, the interesting thing about that definition is that it's true in the sense that the new covenant does supersede the old covenant, but not in the way that it has been taught for 2,000 years. And so this is not actually, to, to approach this from a place of replacement theology is completely and totally wrong, but supersessionism does provide the basis for the traditional understanding of the book we're studying. That through Yeshua, the earthly temple, the priest, the sacrifices, the Torah, the old covenant, they've all been done away with. And we've already, as I said, we've worked very hard to show how inaccurate that way of thinking is. That all of the temple service served a valuable purpose in the life of Israel, until the day it was destroyed. And that included who? The apostles, the disciples, Yeshua himself, all engaged in temple worship. And we also showed that the temple again will serve a valuable purpose. When? When Yeshua establishes the Messianic age. And that we talked about sacrifices being valuable there. And according to the words, we use the Bible to defend this. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Micah. But without a doubt, again, I say there is a focus on something better. And so the main point of discussion, though, in Hebrews is not a supersessionist one. It is about superseding, which comes from the Latin verb super or from sedere, which means... Can you guess? To be superior to. There is in Hebrews the discussion of a better priesthood. In Hebrews 8.6, he has obtained. Who is he? Yeshua. He has obtained a more excellent ministry. There is a discussion of a better temple. When Messiah appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. There are better sacrifices. Why? Because it says there are better, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And these two primary points, there is a better hope described. There is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God and a better covenant. Why? Because it says so. Yeshua has become the guarantee of a better covenant. 
Now, if you really think about it, those two pivotal verses, better promises, better covenant, provide the entire replacement theology platform for the fact that Yeshua came and did away with, and all of it is in the past. But we speak English, do we not? Faye speaks more than English. Who else is multi-bilingual? Irvin, Ron, we have some, but let's talk in English. These two words, back, back, good. A better hope. Hope in its very definition implies a hope, a, a desire for something that has not yet been attained. Would it make sense for me to say, I hope I can stand up here and give a message about Hebrews to this congregation? Man, I hope I can. I am. I hope, however, that you will internalize it, understand it, and have it be useful in your life. That's a hope for a future reality. A guarantee also, by the nature of its definition, has become the guarantee of a better covenant. This means something that is going to happen in the future. We cannot look at this as something that all of that's been trashed and thrown away with. Thrown away. It's a promise regarding a future event. And we know this is about a future event. And that's a, that sounds so obvious but I want you to, we will understand that more as we finish up over the next couple of weeks. But you remember this, the author of Hebrews tells us he's talking about the future, not now, not the past. He did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are in the present tense in this book speaking. What are we talking about? You can say it, it's on the screen. Say it real loud. The, the Olam Haba. We are talking about the world to come where a better hope and a better promise and guarantee resides. So we begin phase two today of our Hebrew series. We've looked at, at who, what, where, when, and why. Phase two centers on how. How is this going to work? How does it work? How is everything going to be better? How, as we're waiting for Messiah, we've been expecting him for a long time, how do we live with faith? And so the next few weeks of better, what I want to show you and what I want you to understand is this is obviously, this is the understatement of the millennium, Obviously not a replacement theology idea. Prime point of importance, the arguments that the authors of Hebrews puts forth are all at home within a Jewish understanding of how God is going to save the world. How he's going to restore the world and make it better. There is nothing here that undoes Judaism. As a matter of fact, we're going to see what it's rooted in in Judaism this will surprise you and shock you, is in essence, I usually say that sarcastically, but I mean it this time, extra biblical and more mystical understandings that were happening during Yeshua's day. All of this theology that's discussed 
is at home within the writings, thoughts, and ideas of Judaism. There is nothing new here, but there's something better. And when we're done, we're going to, well, first, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at his three main betters. We're going to look at a better covenant. We're going to look at a better priesthood. And we're going to look at a better temple today, as a matter of fact. And when we're done, when we're done with these betters, we'll see the book of Hebrews fully separated from supersessionism and fully seated in its Jewish context. And guess what you'll have at that point? A better understanding. Won't that be better? I think it will. I think that it will. So, there is one point of agreement we have. The temple is a main theme in Hebrews. Can we agree? Of course we can agree. We can agree with pretty much the whole believing world in that. And we've discussed why that would be the case, why, why it would be such an important point of discussion for the audience. But the temple has been and still is an important point of discussion, even in Judaism today. We pray three times. We, when we say, that's a prayer for the rebuilding of the temple. We say it three times a day. Why? Because Jews want to control Jerusalem? No, because we want to re, we want to invite the presence of God back into that holy space that was. So the, 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 synagogue, the temple is still incredibly important. But when is the last time you heard a pastor encouraging his congregation to pray for the rebuilding of the temple? <laughs> Has anyone actually ever heard a Christian message urging the rebuilding of the temple? So, what does that mean? Well, in a Christian way of thinking, the temple is the main point of discussion. Why? To demonstrate its futility, its weakness, its uselessness for accomplishing anything good. Why? Because something better has come along. There's this new, novel, revolutionary idea that the author of Hebrews has been inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh to create and pass on to the generations. A heavenly temple. Ah! A temple in heaven. Ah! This old brick and mortar dead temple of stone doesn't matter anymore. Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection removed all the legitimacy and function of that old heap of rocks. We need look no further than Hebrews to confirm this for this traditional way of thinking. Now, this is a long set of scriptures, but the main point is what has been said is this. Is it, actually? I don't know. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it's necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if you were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. 
I remember when Darren taught this class called Nothing But the Blood, and we got to this portion of talking about how Yeshua is not a priest in terms of the earthly sense of what that means. We had people leave the synagogue over that. It's right there, and it's clearly explained what that means, and that's part of what our better understanding is going to be. But just a little side note. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Who serve, what do they serve? A copy and a shadow. That doesn't sound good. Of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been acted, enacted on better promises. Man, is there any reason to argue the point I'm arguing, that there's some relevance in the old thing. I mean, that is like cut and dried to me. True tabernacle. That must mean that this one is false. Copy and shadow. That must mean that this one is fake and not worth anything. In a better covenant, this temple is part of a bad covenant. Former promises are bad. Now, in all fairness to 2,000 years of supersessionist replacement theology, we can understand how someone that is unfamiliar with the Jewish context would read that and arrive at the conclusions that have been arrived at, right? So let's get a better understanding. Even my friend and Messianic leader, Messianic music extraordinaire, we sang his song today. He didn't write this song, but... But Paul Wilbur sings, Majesty too great to dwell in temples made of stone. You have chosen hearts of flesh to make your glory known. That was not my best Paul Wilbur imitation, but the idea that just does not matter what was. I have a secret. First, a quiz. Here's a quiz before the secret. Writer of Hebrews, Jewish, yes or no? Audience of Hebrews, Jewish, yes or no? Location of Hebrews audience, Jewish place, yes or no? Written when? Temple still standing, yes or no? You've done well. You ready for the secret? I want to whisper. The writer of Hebrews did not come up with this heavenly temple thing. Thank you, Roger, for expressing your surprise. This is not a New Testament thing. It is most certainly not a Christian thing. Would it surprise you to know that his Jewish audience in a Jewish place, hearing Jewish discussions, knew what he was talking about based on current thoughts regarding an earthly temple and a heavenly temple that was happening in Jewish space? This is not new thinking. This is the author's attempt, successful we'll find, 
at demonstrating some better things. And I want you to remember that the, the, the letter of Hebrews is a certain type of letter. Do you remember how he describes this? It is an ex. Thank you. It is an exhortation, it is an encouragement, possibly a sermon. Why was it this? Why was it needed? Because we've discussed the fact that our audience was living in the 60s, not those 60s, way worse 60s, struggling, suffering, dying, being stoned. That was the other 60s. I mean, stoned with rocks. It so much matters. <laughs> it is possible, certainly, that our author is using a familiar concept to remind them there is a better hope, a guarantee of a better covenant that currently resides. <laughs> in heaven. Or even better. If you remember what we talked about, this community was potentially, was potentially made up of. This was our community, possibly, from Acts. And how did that community in Acts become the community in Acts? It started on Shavuot, and there were people from all over the world, Jews who had come into Jerusalem for Shavuot. And there were also God-fearers now in the community, the, the likes of the Corneliuses of the world. So now we have this expanded community of Jews from Jerusalem, but also Jews from around the world and even Gentiles who were pagans. Is it possible? Yes, it is. I'll answer it for you. That the author was explaining to them a new concept that they might not be familiar with because they did not grow up with this understanding. Not a new concept, a new concept to them of the idea of a heavenly temple and an earthly temple. Is it possible? Of course it is. So he's either offering an encouragement because that's consistent with the purpose of the letter, or he is using this sermon and this opportunity to offer an exhortation to people who may not have known. But he did not create this heavenly temple idea. This is not new. How far back does it go? Well, let's just see. How about Exodus 25, 8, and 9, which is where the idea finds its Torah base. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. I am going to show you. Who is he talking to? Moses, where did Moses go for 40 days at the top of Mount Sinai? Well, tradition says that Moses was certainly there in the presence of God. Some tradition says that Moses ascended to heaven, that God met him and, and, and saw all that was around the pattern to which I have shown you. What's ironic about that for replacement theologians is this. The idea of a heavenly temple, which is suggested to be the undoing of Torah, is found in the Torah. 
Did you get that or did I totally miss you? Okay, good. Because I thought like that would be a, thought I'd get a laugh there. Just got one. But that's too easy. Isaiah 6 certainly indicates a heavenly temple vision, right? In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. There's an interesting note uh, from this Midrashic commentary called Tanhuma from uh, portion, from one of the Torah portions. This is Midrash from the 4th century CE. It says this, the Holy One, blessed is He, desired to have a dwelling place below, just as He has one above. But that's fourth century. That's after Hebrews. That's too easy. He could have stolen that from the Hebrews author. So let's go back a little bit further, drawing on the scholarship of Jonathan Clawins. There's a book called that. There's a book called The Testaments of the Twelve patriarchs. The testaments of the 12 were written in Hebrew or Greek. They reached their final form in the second century. I know this is historical and kind of boring, but just listen to me. They reached their, their final form in the second century. There's a lot of like Christian gloss, things that are very, very much indicating that there was a Christian author who added some things to the testimonies, the testaments, but they are historically recognized to be Jewish documents. Jewish documents. And in them we find a seer ascending to heaven, seeing God worshiped by angels in a cosmic holy of holies, a multi-chambered structure with limited access even to the angels to the innermost parts. Does this sound familiar? It sounds kind of like the temple on earth where only one can go into the innermost parts. Another contemporary but less known book, The Songs of the Sabbath Sacrifice. This book was found, or some versions of it, some fragments of it, found at Qumran. Where was Qumran? 1950s, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and a number of revolutionary Documents for understanding the New Testament and the theologies that surrounded it. In the Songs of the Sabbath Sacrifice, it is dated to be 75 to 100 BCE. That's a long time before Yeshua. Describes the celestial worship of God by angels. Located in a heavenly sanctuary, sometimes in the book called a temple, sometimes a tabernacle. It has gates, curtains, inner rooms, served by angelic beings in priestly garments even describes sacrifices in heaven that were a pleasing aroma to God. You want me to go further back than that? Okay, I will. The book of Enoch, also extra biblical. The first book of Watchers, 300 to 400 BCE. Long time before the writer of Hebrews was writing. The book of Enoch Enoch ascends and is admitted to the heavenly temple. The temple seems to have three zones with God in the innermost. Heavenly worship is carried about by angels and cherubim. So my point is to say, did you get my point? It should be fairly obvious. This is not 
an idea of a replacement theology, Christian, New Testament, undoing the temple idea. It is a worthwhile reminder of what? They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. We've already, we've already explained why the author would be wanting to encourage them to, to look up. To not just look around. To look up and realize there's a better hope. What we see is a copy and a shadow, guys. It's okay but this copy and shadow language is assumed for so long and in current theology, I, like I just had a conversation with somebody about this. It is assumed that a copy and shadow means a bad thing. Done away with Messiah. Remember that 8-2 quote. In the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord made, not man. Who needs man-made? Pause and listen to this because it is so very important. Listen to me say this. A copy is not a bad thing. A shadow is not a bad thing. It's just not the original. I can use my my birth certificate. I can use a copy of my birth certificate at times when I need to use it for something, but sometimes only the original will do, or a driver's license or whatever. I can't walk in to buy a bottle of wine at Kroger and pull out a copy of my driver's license and say, here, will this work? Sometimes just the original will work. But there's a better example I love that Daniel Lancaster gives. If I told you that my house is a copy and shadow of the Taj Mahal, Would you take that to mean that my house is inconsequential and irrelevant? What I think you'd take that to mean is any extra spaces on Friday night. (laughs) In the Jewish understanding, to just drive this point all the way home, Both temples remain valuable for their designated purpose. But those purposes are different. And the times in which those purposes will be utilized are different. And we must keep the topic in mind. An exhortation, the book we're studying, about when. Hebrews 2.5, the world to come. A better hope, this world and the world to come. Prime importance. A recurring theme in our closing weeks. Olam hazeh, you are in it. Olam haba, by Yeshua, you're going there. The olam hazeh, this world. The olam haba, the world to come. And that is what we are talking about. This earthly temple that will be again 
I'm sorry, I'm yelling again, man. Sorry. This earthly temple that will be again with priests and high priests and sacrifices and altars and chambers represents this world. The Olam Hazeh. With it, ritual purity in this world. And we will see that the author's point is to remind us and encourage us that this world and all that is in it are actually passing away. But that has not happened. As far as I know, when I look up, the sun, the moon, and stars are doing their thing. When I look down, we are on the earth. This olam hazeh equals this earthly temple. Put it in your memory bank. Olam haba equals that heavenly temple. And it represents two times, two venues, two purposes. The first and the second. And the relationship between these temples is the lesson. The temple below reflects the temple above. And what happens in the book of Hebrews and the lesson, it is a picture of our future this temple, this world, that temple, that world, there is a better temple. But remember, better does not mean bad. Our eternal hope is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven. Man, that would make a good name for a band. And the temple there represents our hope. The author of Hebrews tells you to remember that. But we've got a problem. Because the earthly high priest cannot get there. As a matter of fact, according to Jewish tradition that predates the book of Hebrews, angels can't even get all the way in. And for a better temple, we need a better high priest. My next door neighbor, Wes Heath of blessed memory. Every single time I had a home improvement need, if Wes heard of it, he'd call and say, I got a guy. I got a guy. My shingles blow, I got a guy. My gutters, are, I got a guy. My yard, I got a guy. For a better temple, we need a better priest. I got a guy. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. 
If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.